<coughs> excuse me. Today we are finishing the Lord's Prayer, and we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer uh, since March, uh, phrase by phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to conclude that today with the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. And I did want to, um, for us to um, go through and just kind of share some of those things that we've learned, and then as we conclude with this, the last phrase uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Before we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask you that you would help now. Lord, I pray that you would calm my thinking. I pray that you would, Lord, hide me behind the cross. And Lord, that your spirit uses your word. And Lord, we believe that the spirit wants to work and we ask for his enablement. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, just enable me. There are so many different thoughts vying for my attention and affections and everyone in this room with different things. We are in an unusual um, transition time. Lord, there are a whole range of emotions. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we would sit under your word, regardless of who the messenger is, that we are here on this Lord's day because we need you and we need to worship you. And so we submit to your word. Lord, would help us to worship as by hearing it and preaching it and responding to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the midst of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he answers this question that Luke gives. The disciples say, the Lord teaches to pray, and he says for them not to pray like these Pharisees and these hypocrites do, and then he gives them that what we know is the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. So first, what I'd like for us to do is recite aloud together uh, that traditional. The words will be on the screen if you don't know it. Um, here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. So um, we've walked through the Lord's Prayer, and we we'll give some, some slides up here. We'll go ahead the first one here. Uh, that the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray and what to pray. It teaches us what prayer is and what prayer is not. And so when we look at prayer, that it's, the Lord's Prayer um, gives us, underlines for us the importance of prayer, that it's a human necessity that we pray, that, um, and that it's, all humans pray um, even I, I think it's often funny when I'll hear and, and read uh, that an atheist or professing atheist will say, well, you're in our thoughts and prayers. And we're like, wait, who do you pray to then? But uh, it's really, I mean, um, in Islam, they pray, uh, kneel towards Mecca. In Judaism, they have rep- repetitive prayers and from different liturgies and particularly prayers at holy sites. And um, Buddhism has a prayer, and, and even like monastic or um, Catholic orders of, would have certain prayers, rituals to Mary and the like, and things like that. Um, but uh, but the, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are that prayer is something very uh, natural for us, and the New Testament is so um, uh, talks so much about it. And so the Lord's Prayer gives us this model that how a rule 
uh, for how we would direct our prayers. And so it's not a prayer, not, a, not that it's wrong to repeat it in a form of worship, uh, in a worship service, but it's to be a model for us to teach us uh, about it. This prayer teaches us how to pray and what to pray, what prayer is and what it's not. And one of the things I think is wonderful about the Lord's Prayer is it kind of gets into that, that in modern church evangelicalism, we kind of have this superficial, fluffy, individualistic focus of prayer, and the Lord's Prayer comes at this comes at this loud clarion call of something that is transcendent and big, and not all about me, 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 my, us, me, you know, because it's our Father, and teaches us these big things to pray for. So it teaches us what that is. And the next slide, please. Um, um, so that we are to be praying, and it teaches us that, and that when you pray, pray this way, and that we need to be taught how to pray, because we tend to not pray that way. Again. Okay, so, and then this is an important thing. As we pray, so we believe. That the way we pray, if you really want to find out what someone really believes, listen to their prayers. Um, we pray for what our real theology is, that all, all of our thinking and what we truly believe comes out practically in the way we pray. And we're going to see that even as we end the Lord's Prayer of what we would want to pray. So, um, I saw a molar said it this way, the Lord's Prayer takes less than 20 seconds to read aloud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. And then we went through the first phrase um, about our Father. And so our, not just individualistic, that we think of corporately, our Father, and that He is our Father, and this is a gospel thing, that He is the one over us, and that we would think that way, that He is a transcendent one. And what a great, uh, wonderful thing is that, that we can go to our Father, um, and that we have that type of access, as the quote there, that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. And then it tells us how God is our Father who is in heaven. That who is in heaven teaches us that God's superior, that he is majestic, that he is a sovereign God who transcends everything outside of this space-time continuum. He is big. He is the God who is in heaven. And so our application to this, would be, we would need to remember who God is when we pray and who we are when we pray and what the goal of life is when we pray, that it's not just about us, it's about him who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, that teaches us that God's name is to be hallowed, that we worship him, that we want him. And then we pray things like, your kingdom come. I mean, this is really a revolutionary type prayer, that we are literally praying that, that we're asking for the powers of this world to be overturned, by a greater power. I mean, this is, this is the, uh, um, as Al Mohler said, the prayer that turned the world upside down. This, this is an incredible thing. And so prayer discloses our worldview and that whose kingdom we are loyal to the most. And so there is, there is this aspect in the Lord's Prayer that we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this is an important thing that we want God's will to be done. And we talked about finding God's will and how God's will is a little bit, has different aspects to it. He has a disposition of will. He has a directive will. And that, that can be very dangerous for us to pray in that way. And then those are the big three. So the Lord's Prayer has six petitions in it, three directed to God, three directed to our relationships with one another, divided up half and half, just like the Ten Commandments are. And then it goes in this, give us this day 
our daily bread. And this idea of daily bread, it gives us that, it asks these questions of what kind of things does God want us to pray for? And it, what, the daily, the smallest things, anything we can pray for. Well, how often should we pray then? Well, daily. That there's, and, then, and then what's our, um, is that God, is God only concerned about spiritual things? Well, no, he's concerned about the physical things uh, as well. And so uh, we, um, uh, we, we, we are dependent upon God. And that we need this daily bread because we are dependent by design. We need God. I mean, we have this reminder every day that we are not God, that we are not self-sufficient. We need food. We get hungry. We get hangry. Then we get dizzy. And then, and then more than that, we have this reminder of that we need sleep. I mean, this simple thing can be so profound when the Bible says that God doesn't slumber or sleep, that he doesn't need sleep. If you and I don't sleep, I mean, there's, you know, the science of after so many hours, it's the same as if you're inebriated and drunk, if you haven't slept a certain amount, and your brain functions go down, and you can't think, and we are dependent, and we need God, and so he gives us this, this daily bread. But it's also a bigger call that, Daily bread will keep you alive for a while, daily, but we need a deeper bread. And last month, we need the bread of life, and that the Lord's table was the reminder for that. So we are, we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then the next petition, the fifth one, is forgive us our debts. And we talked about the difference between trespasses and debts and why it's debts and the debt we have to God and the debt we have of sin. And, and, and th- that comes in and that we need to ask God's forgiveness because we are sinners and that the gospel humbles all of that pride that we have. And so we are sinners that need forgiveness and that there's hope for forgiveness in Christ. And if you're here and don't know Christ, to believe on him and he a- offers you full pardon. He offers you freedom from sin. He offers you forgiveness. And that God is willing to forgive. That there is more mercy in Christ, as Saib said, than there is sin in us. That we are beggars. That is true. And so we need to ask, even as believers, we need to ask for forgiveness regularly for, not for our justification, but for that relationship that we have. And then the response of that is that we are to forgive others. That forgiven people forgive people. And then... Last week, we saw the, the sixth and final petition. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The temptation is a real thing and that we, uh, it is always crouching at the door. It is always there. It is, it is as if like a, you know, if you knew there was a 15-foot python outside your house. You know, it's like you live in Morgantown or something like that. Uh, and it's there. Did you see that about the lady in Florida that had the alligator break into her house? And uh, tail broke wine bottles and things like this. Can you imagine? Like, and, and you wouldn't want to leave anything. I mean, it's just, this is, uh, I, I probably, you know, like, forget it. All right, we're out of here, you know. there. Um, that is, um, I don't even like it when I find black snakes. I mean, let alone, like, ones that can cuddle up with you and kill you or, or something like that. But... Um, has they found that thing yet? Does anyone know? No? Still on the loose? Still at large? That's when you wish it was like October, when it would be cold enough to kill the thing, right? And uh, 
uh, if anyone, uh, now someone's going to be offended that I talked about killing an animal. Um, especially, snakes. especially snakes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because a good thing uh, Sarah's not here. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, oh, my, yeah. Well, yes. Um, there. <laughs> There is a freedom in knowing you're on your way out the door. You can say whatever you want. And, um, what's the worst thing can happen? Um, but so he prays, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That basically this desperate plea, Lord, please preserve me from sinning against you. That recognizing that temptation is inside of us and outside of us, that there is the, the future temptation and then the, the, the current temptations that we're in. And this, requesting, this request is asking God to now allow, not allow circumstances that would make it easy for us to sin in. And we talked about trials and temptations. And the, our response is to recognize this and to run and to have this disposition that we don't trust ourselves, that people, that forgiven people pray like this because they trust God but don't trust themselves. And then it says, deliver us from the evil or the evil one, that we should recognize that there is evil. And, and I mentioned last week that, uh, as C.S. Lewis said in the Screwtape Letters, that there are two equal and opposite errors into which the, uh, our race can fall about the devils. And one is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excess of an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both, um, the, both errors and they hail the materialist or the magician uh, with the same delight. And so we've got to be careful that we're not always, well, the devil made me do it, but at the same time uh, recognizing there is evil in the world. And this is a gospel petition that says, Lord, I need you to deliver me. I mean, think about that. Deliver us from evil. There's no, Lord, meet me halfway Lord, I'll take two steps if you take two steps and meet me in the middle. Lord, I'll do my part, you do your part. I'll pe- cast my vote and uh, d- Satan cast his vote and you split the difference and vote, you know. It's just God save me. Like God deliver me from evil. It's very much a plea in the sovereign God and someone who is weak and things like, like, like this that we would have that type of view. Um, not a help me out, Lord, or meet me halfway. That the Lord, that the Bible doesn't teach this, that God helps those who help themselves. The Bible teaches that God delivers those uh, of his. So, and so this, these are the lessons we've seen. And, and I was thinking about this and, and, and uh, that um, uh, I was reading someone that uh, was watching a, a video about this, that um, I'd never thought about this this way, that, that Jesus' atonement for us is, is a substitute. He died in our place. And so we believe in our saved because we believe Jesus took our place on the cross, that he died the death that we should have died. He paid the penalty. He, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. But the example of Jesus, and we alluded to this last week, that when he is tempted, and the Bible says that he is all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he can be a faithful and great high priest because he's been there. That in a sense, Jesus took that temptation when he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we can follow his example in responding with scripture and things like this. But also, and there's a huge sense in which Jesus was our substitute in temptation. That he faced temptation 
and was victorious over temptation in my place. That part of Jesus, the part of the gospel of me being in him and my union with Jesus that we'll celebrate in the table here in a few moments, is that Jesus faced temptation. He took temptation for me. And so as I look, and as you're tempted this week, that you would look to Christ who bore that temptation. And then the prayer ends with this phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It ends with a doxology. And maybe you've grown up or maybe the tradition you were in um, ended the service, and we often end the service by singing the doxology. And um, there's certain response to how do you, we're just habitual to respond to things in a certain way. Um, now, when we come to the, this phrase, and I, I've actually been more nervous about this message than I have the previous ones. Because of this, and that can be, often when you communicate something, it can be miscommunicated. If you are looking, depending on what translation of the Bible that you're looking at, in Matthew chapter 6, um, at verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is another phrase there that is in, some, is in the King James Version that is not in a lot of modern translations. And you'll notice that this phrase and lead us, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is not there. Why is that? Well, if you would go to Luke chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, even in the King James, it's not there either. The, 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 in, in Luke, the Luke's edition ends with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, where did that come from? Why is it there? And um, so I, here's what I want to say. There is the manuscript evidence. There's some manuscript evidence for it being there and some manuscript evidence for it not being there. It is not fan, found in any of the Latin. It is found in some Greek um, manuscripts, but not all. It's not found in some Greek manuscripts until like the fourth century. Um, some of the church fathers, even when they wrote liturgies, liturgy being a service order like Origen and some others like this, didn't include that doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the first English translation of the Bible, based on the Texas Receptus or an earlier edition of the Texas Receptus, uh, William Tyndale's edition of the Bible, did not include that doxology in Matthew's um, rendition of the Lord's Prayer. So it's not a... TR versus CT or anything. It, 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 there's, there's, there's a lot of question there. So, um, but we do see it um, in, um, uh, even into the first century, the Didache, which is an ancient writing about like worship and order in the church, that they put it there, that it was written there, and actually said to pray it three times a day. It was kind of given liturgy practices for uh, to pray the Lord's Prayer this way. So, is it there or is it not there? And more importantly, uh, so, but, but it seems like that Jesus did not end the prayer, his prayer, regardless, with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It seems like that was added either by early in the church, very early in the church in manuscript evidence, or 
things. But I do, I do want you to see a couple different things. First is I want you to go with me. Uh, we were talking about temptation, and that's what just has ended. So go with me to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, and verse 8. This is that classic passage where um, Peter warns us. He says, be so, uh, um, 5 verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And that after you've suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it is seen here that um, when Peter says how we resist Satan and we're under temptation right now, that, that, that we're resisting him and pleading God's deliverance, that wait, reminding him to him be dominion forever. Remind, the, the, it's just natural for us to have this. So it's kind of a doxology. Now, the other place that it is good for us to know, as we give some background on this, is that doxologies were very common to end prayers for Jewish people. And the first Christians were Jews, and it would be common for them to end their prayers with a doxology. It would be almost like for us, um, when you pray, how most of us, it's just kind of become a part of Christian tradition, that when someone prays aloud, maybe for an offering or the service, they would end their prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, where in the Bible does it say to end your prayers that way? It tells us that we're supposed to pray in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, and it's a good reminder, but it's just kind of become part of a thing. And so to, uh, um, sometimes you can pray something, and then you, you just naturally, without even thinking, at the end of the prayer say, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, And it was so common in the Jewish world to end their prayers with a doxology. I'll give you one great example, and I hope you'll see this one. In, in 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, um, verse 11. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Here David blessed the Lord in the presence. He said, Blessed are you, the Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and all that in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Does that sound very familiar to, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. It was a very common way that they would do that. So here's the question for the day, and it is a trick question. And you can answer this and talk about it over lunch, okay? And for some reason, I'm very dry-throated today. Excuse me. So is it right or wrong to recite this doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to say that my answer is, it is right and wrong to recite the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. 
First, why is it wrong, and then why it is right, and that will be the outline today. Why is it wrong? Well, it would always be wrong to add to the Bible. It would be wrong to add to Scripture, right? We shouldn't add to the, we were In Sunday school class, we were talking about a major religious movement that adds to the Bible. We don't do that. We, we, we don't add to the Bible. And so if, some, there's not, if there's a question there, there's at least something there. Is it there? Um, and so that's the main reason why it would be wrong to say something's the Bible that's not the Bible. And then, uh, why is it right? Well, doxologies are found in Scripture. We just read one that was very similar to this one, almost the exact phrasing. Uh, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever in Second Chronicles, in First Chronicles 29.11. It was also very much tradition for Jewish people to end their prayers that way and for the early church. And especially in the early church, into the, into the three and four hundreds, when they wrote liturgies to end their prayers with a doxology of sorts. Now, even of those, like the Didache and things like that, even in the first century, it wasn't the same exact phrasing that we see it, that in, in the traditional way we say it. It was even different then. So it was like different types of uh, what I would ending a prayer. So the first reason that I think it's right to say it is that doxologies are found in Scripture and in church tradition and in worship liturgy. Secondly, that doxologies are an appropriate response to talking to God, to ending how we talk to God, how we worship God, that we would praise God from whom all blessings flow, pray of him all creatures here below, that we would have that type of response. It's kind of like... um, I remember when I went to college, they had a choir group that did Handel's Messiah. And the, the only thing I knew about broke era music was you're supposed to fix the record player when it's broke, right? Um, that's a bad joke. But I've learned to appreciate that. And there's been some times that, you know, um, you, you go up into some bigger cities where they'll have whole groups and choirs. You can even do sing-alongs if you want to, to go and sing through the, all of Handel's um, The Messiah. But there's that one phrase, uh, there, there's, when you come to the end, the Hallelujah Chorus, and history has us that one of the first kings that heard this stood up, and so it is uh, c- cultural appropriate that when that is sung, that everyone in the room stands up as if it were a national anthem. And so, hallelujah, and he goes, um, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then repeat that a half million times and then complain about modern music repeating itself. Um, he shall reign forever and ever, and then go up and down all you want, right? And uh, he shall reign forever and ever. And it's almost this grand doxology. And so there's something when you hear, what do you do when you, you're in a room and someone starts to sing the handles of Messiah, the Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus? You stand up. That's what we do. There's a response. There's an appropriate response to this. And, and I think that this doxology that we say at the end of the Lord's Prayer is a very appropriate way for us to respond to God in this way. Um, so the theology, and the, and the final reason that I think it's appropriate for us to, and to, to use it when we pray, say it loud, especially the Lord's Prayer, is that, um, that everything in the prayer has already been said that's in the doxology. If you think about it, for thine is the kingdom. Father, kingdom come. It already referenced back to it. Everything in that doxology has already been said. 
So it's not like we're saying anything that the Bible hasn't, hasn't already said. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are powerful, transcendent. You are God, our Father who is in heaven. Powerful, transcendent, majestic, sovereign. And the glory. Hallowed be your name. I want your name to be hallowed in my life. And the goal of my life is to glorify you. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. That God doesn't end. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The daily bread, you supply it. You forgive. And you forgive and you deliver me because you're so powerful over all, the, all of the devil and all of this thing. And then we respond, Amen. So be it. Let it be so. And that is an extremely fitting way for us to end our prayers. Now, here's the other thing. Jesus, um, when he gave the Lord's Prayer, was not giving us a prayer to repeat three times a day or things like this. I mean, it's not wrong to do that. It's very fitting and it teaches us and it's a good practice and it, uh, not knocking that at all. But what he was doing was giving us a model prayer for it. So it's as if Jesus doesn't end the prayer. He knows we're going to be doing things with it and using it as a model or as a framework for us to pray. And so there is a way in which we as a church continue that prayer. That we pick it up. And it's appropriate for us to respond in that doxology because it is a model prayer. I'll read a quote. In an age of superstition and superficiality, the Lord's Prayer is a beacon of biblical piety and a theologically informed church. And so this is how we respond. We respond in worship to God. That we would be, so what is the response of your life as an individual? That we would continue that prayer. Or us as a church, that we would continue that prayer. For thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It reminds us how great our God is. And that we would be reminded of that as often as we do that. As often as we say that. That this is God's plan. And we're going to take it now and, and go, to the, go to the Lord's table. We'll close this. And, and it's almost a very fitting way that Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Knowing that we're going to continue it uh, as we forgive others. Um, and so let's take a few moments and, um, of quiet. as we, I'll pray and close and then we'll prepare for the Lord's table. Father, thank you.